right, good morning, everybody. Hey, listen, before we get into the text, I wanna make a special introduction to you. I wanna introduce to you one of our new team members, pastoral members, his name is Bob Drew. Bob, I'm gonna have him come on up here. Give him a hand, will you please, as he walks up here. Yes. We are, we're very excited to have Bob on the team. Bob is going to be giving operational and pastoral oversight to all the various ministries that take place here at the church. And essentially, he's gonna do the stuff I don't wanna do. It's gonna be great, it's gonna be great. Bob has a huge, huge pastoral heart. Once you get to know him, you'll recognize that. And he just has a genuine love for God's people. And uh, his wife is Amy, she's wonderful as well. They got three kids and they've, lived here in the Valley for a few years, but I thought I'd ask Bob what, uh, what he's excited about stepping into this new role. Yeah, well, thank you, Jason. First off, as you can tell, we're gonna start a Illuminate basketball team. The trick is you have to be a certain height and have bad knees, that's how it works. Um, I'm most excited to be home, honestly. My wife and I were talking as she was walking out to the, to the car after the first eight o'clock service. Uh, we feel at home, and so we're excited to be here with you and be part of this family and call this our church. Uh, I'm more also excited, or should I say even equally excited about what God's doing here. Uh, from an outsider's perspective coming in, I can tell you that God's doing amazing things at this church, and there is a buzz in the valley about what God's doing through you. So if you've been in here for a while, just so you know, from the outsider looking in, God's doing something special here. You're part of something really amazing. Then also, too, I'm looking forward to just spending time with you, supporting Jason, supporting the staff, because you have a, a wonderful pastoral ministerial team here, and it's just a pleasure to be here. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Bob, it's great to have you. Please give him some love. He's gonna be hanging out around here after the service, get to know him as well too. Appreciate you, brother, thank you. Yeah, all right, so uh, by the way, uh, thank you, Kelly. I mentioned this in the first service, but one of the really cool things, one of the many cool things about uh, being one of the pastors here at Illuminate is I get a front row seat to see what God is doing organically in our midst. And so raising up so many people within our congregation and giving them these particular burdens. So when we heard what Kelly was doing, this is, this is her own ministry. And so when we heard about this, we're like, oh, we gotta throw gas on this. So please stop by, find out what's going on with her ministry, and at the very least, find out how you can give prayer support. They're gonna need that kind of air cover because it's very much frontline ministry and what is very often a dark, dark place. So thank you for that. So, all right, here's the deal. Um, I'm hungry, there's wings in the lot, so this is gonna end in 10 minutes, right? So, <laughs> if you got your Bibles, we're in Romans chapter four. So here's where we're at. We're gonna cover the last half of the chapter. Just by way of reminder, the first half, amazing, amazing content from the Apostle Paul. So beautiful, so rich, distinctly unique, distinctly Christian, what he presents, and it's this. Our salvation is not as a result of anything that we do. It's not. You can't earn your way to God, primarily because you can't be good enough. That's how high God's standard is. That's a problem for all of humanity. That's the bad news, right? The good news, though, is that work has been done on your behalf. You can't do the work of getting close to God, being put in a right relationship with him, but someone did the work on your behalf. It's not about what you do, it's about who you know. Now, this message for Paul's Jewish audience would be foreign, it would be unthinkable, because all they knew was works of the law. Think of the law as what you read in your Old Testament, the do's and don'ts. 
They thought certainly if we just apply ourselves and we're consistent enough, God will throw open the gates of heaven for us. We can earn our way to God. And Paul demolishes that. And he does so in the most brilliant way because he uses the great patriarch Abraham, the guy that started it all. It's like it went from God to Abraham to everybody else. He says, let's use Abraham as a case study. And I'm gonna prove to you that you can't earn your way to God, but that you're put in a right relationship, God, not because of what you do, but because of your belief, your faith, that is trusting in him. He makes a brilliant case. He uses specific things from the life of Abraham to illustrate this. For example, Paul's Jewish brothers believed fiercely that if they were circumcised, which represented the covenant God made with his people, if the Jewish man was circumcised, then there was no doubt he was on good terms with God. No doubt that he made God smile. Just by performing this one act, certainly he would be saved. And Paul says, here's what you need to know. When God took Abraham outside the tent and made him a promise, and he literally quotes Genesis chapter 15 and verse six. When God took Abraham outside the tent at night, said, look up at the stars. You see all the stars? Countless stars. So shall your descendants be. And the text says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him. We talked about this last week. That's an accounting term. His sins were removed. The righteousness of God was placed on deposit. He was declared righteous. In that moment, he was placed in a right relationship with God before any of the works, long before any of the works that he became so well known for. He wasn't circumcised for several years after that. And yet the text says he believed, he had faith. He trusted that God would keep his promise. He was good. That's one example. Now Paul presses in a little bit further in the second half of Romans chapter four. And he sort of, it's like he peels back the curtain and he says, now let me tell you exactly who Abraham placed his faith in. And let me give you Abraham's view of God. And he's about to lay down a real simple principle and I wanna give it to you at the beginning. It's super profound. And you know it to be true in your own life. Here's what it is. The, the faith that you have is only as good as the object in which you place it. And I'm gonna give some illustrations, but I wanna tee it up by saying this. Your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. So what, what Paul does in the second half of Romans is he says, now we're gonna talk about the object of Abraham's faith. We're gonna talk about God himself. Chapter four, verse 13. For the promise to Abraham, the one where God took him outside, look up at the stars, you're gonna have that many descendants. It was not a small promise, by the way. We'll get to that in a second. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. It wasn't through the works of the law as if he could earn it, but through the righteousness of faith. So in other words, all of God's words, they were not dependent upon what Abraham did. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is not even needed, right? If you can do the works, great, good on you. Do them, you can try, you're gonna fall short. But if that's one way to get there, great, then you don't need faith, that's what he's saying. And the promise, the promise of God is void. 
doesn't matter if God makes a promise, if you can earn your way. Verse 15, for the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So let's back up and remind ourselves of this scene. Again, I, I, uh, I summarized it last week, but it's worth doing again here now. So Abraham fights this battle, wins. God appears to him and says, you know why you won that battle? I was your shield. I went before you. And then God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to reward you, which is amazing. Abraham's processing this, and he begins to think, oh, God's gonna reward me? How great is this? Now, back in the day, to be blessed was to have two things in your life. Number one, you had land. Number two, you had kids. Abraham has land, he has no kids. What good is a blessing from God if, he doesn't, if you've got no one to pass it on to? So he says, I have no child to receive what you're promising me and to pass it on. That's really what I want. That's really what I want. That's when God takes him outside at night, outside the tent, look up at the stars. You see how many there? You're gonna have as many descendants as there are stars in the sky. This is not a small promise. Abraham and Sarah are way beyond childbearing years. And yet, Abraham says, I think you're gonna do it. I have faith, that is to say, I trust that you will fulfill your promise. And to emphasize the fact that it could not be earned, Paul says, you know, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Again, I mentioned this last week because it was in the text, but a transgression is slightly different than a sin in that a transgression describes the breaking or the violation of a known law. And so since we have the law, we know exactly how and why. We have no excuse. We are in violation. It's there in black and white. It's in print. We can see the wrongs that we commit. That's why we are transgressors. So even if Abraham tried his best, all the law is going to do is reveal the fact you can't be good enough. So all throughout this text, you're going to see Paul emphasize this point, saved by faith apart from works over and over again. And in verse 16, he's gonna emphasize it in this way. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace. That's something that God has to supply and be guaranteed to all of Abraham's offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, that is to Paul's Jewish brothers, but to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who was actually the father of us all. Again, it's, it's, it's hard to describe the impact of these statements upon the Jewish reader because what they're hearing Paul say now is that Abraham is not just the father of, of the Jews, but he's actually the father of everyone that shares the same faith that he had. If you trust in what God says, if you believe in his promises, essentially you're a child of Abraham. And his Jewish brothers are going, wait, time out, what? <laughs> like, this is just a Jewish thing, right? I mean, like, like we're the monotheists and God is just for us. And, and, and Paul demolishes that. He says, no, 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 you understand. Even from the very beginning, God is the God of all people who place their faith in him. Now, Paul is very careful to explain the quality how I would say it, the quality of the object 
of Abraham's faith, God himself. Because your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. Verse 17, as it is written, God said to him, I have made you the father of many nations. Now, there's a number of, of reasons why when people ask me, well, why do you trust the Bible? Like, why do you think it's reliable? <laughs> okay, there's a mountain of evidence that could be spoken of here. Uh, fulfilled prophecy alone, like what we just read. Just consider this, okay? This ancient text refers to this man, Abraham, and God told him that he would be a father of a great nation. Well, guess what? Where do the, what does the Israelite nation trace its roots to? What individual? Abraham. And the fact that the Israelites are still around is pretty remarkable. I've jokingly said to this to you before. When's the last time you had lunch with a Hittite or an Amorite, an Israelite? Why are they here? Because God said they would be here. That's why all of them, these ancient people, there's lots of them that have been around, gone. Not around anymore. Israelites, they're here. Why? Because God said, I'm gonna make your name great. You're gonna be the father of a, a, a multitude. A great nation will come forth from you. Okay, so that came true. God said, I'm gonna, I'm, your name is gonna be held in the highest regard. To this day, millions of people the world over. Check that. Billions of people the world over hold the name of Abraham in the highest regard. Jews, Christians, Muslims. Abraham believed that God would do what he said he was going to do. Now, living this many years on this side of the promise, we can look back and say, yeah, okay, yeah, he did keep those promises. I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed. Now, he's gonna mention two things about God that Abraham believed. This is very important. Number one, Abraham actually believed that God could give life to the dead. Number two, Abraham believed that God was the one who called into existence, this is what the verse says, the things that do not exist. The object of Abraham's faith was God himself. Two things about God he believed. Number one, God, you have the ability to raise the dead. Number two, you've spoken all things into existence. This is the language of Genesis chapter one. Ex nihilo, ex means exit out. Nihilo means nothing. Out of nothing God creates by speaking it into existence. He believed these two things about God. Your, object, the, your faith is only as good as the object in which you place it. So, so my kids growing up here in Arizona, Arizona kids learn how to swim like before they learn how to walk. You know what I'm saying? So when my kids were little, each one of them, it's the cutest thing. Before they learn how to swim, they learn how to stand on the edge of the pool and jump off. And dad was always there to catch them. And they would do it incessantly, like over and over. I'd grab them, pick them, take them to the step. They'd climb out, run right back there, and jump out over and over again. They loved it. It was the cutest thing. Why did they do that? Well, because they trusted me as the object of their faith that I, I, I would keep them from drowning. Well, one day I heard a little splash at the end of the pool, in the shallow end. I'm in the deep end. And I look over, and it's my oldest. And he must have thought, well, dad's in the pool. And he jumps in. But I'm all the way across the other side. You ever have those moments, parent? 
You know, you're, you're everything you can to get to your child. And I can see him. He's under. Finally get to him. I grab him, lift him out of the water. And he's terrified. You know the feeling when you feel like you're gonna drown? And he looks at me, this sweet little innocent face, with the expression that said, you're no superhero. You know what I'm saying? Little man thought dad could do something that he couldn't do. I can't cross the pool in a nanosecond and get to him. Meanwhile, he goes under. And what's he thinking? Where's dad? Where's dad? Misplaced faith in me, the object. I wasn't capable of doing what he thought I could do. The object of your faith is very important in your faith journey the quality of that object. Alternatively, you can have very shallow and weak faith in something that is extremely trustworthy. My 72 Ford Bronco, I've told you about a number of times, my first car. Something would always break on that thing, always. Well, one day, the fuel gauge went out. For the next two or three weeks, however long until it took to get repaired, I would stop by like every other gas station and fill up. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because I didn't want to run out of gas. I mean, I would feel idiotic. Sometimes I'm like, fill it up. It's like, there's half a gallon. Okay, that was helpful. Oh, but I just didn't, you know, I don't. But here's the deal. The car was completely trustworthy to get me from point A to point B. But I didn't have faith that it would. But it was trustworthy. It was, more, it was totally trustworthy. So do you understand the brilliance of what Paul does here? Is, is he says, hey, listen, Abraham was saved not as a result of what he did, but because of his faith. Now, now let's talk about the object of his faith because you can't get higher quality. So when God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. So it should be a very small thing for you to place your trust in him. We all have faith. My question to you is, where are you placing it? Abraham dropped everything he had on God. And by the way, the faith journey is not an easy one. He had no idea the challenges set before him. Some of these challenges would be years Year after year after year. Being placed in this spot where it's like, I, I don't yet see the promise fulfilled. Another year goes by. Another year. And all this time passes. And he's like. In hope. He believed against hope, which is another way of saying in a seemingly impossible situation that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Look up at the night sky. 
He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. Why? Well, you get this parenthetical statement. Since he was about 100 years old. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, his wife. She's about 90. So here's what Paul's describing. The strength of Abraham's faith in light of the massive challenges to what God promised. Number one, centenarians don't have children. Like, Abraham is like a founding member of the Low T Club. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? Like the No T Club. A hundred years old. And then he starts thinking about his wife. And you know what the, you know what the Greek word is that's used to describe both of their bodies? I'll give it to you. Necro. Which means what? Dead. So, so here's what he does. He's a hundred years old. And he's like, well, when I think of my body dead. And then I think about my wife, more dead. Like, that's like National Enquirer stuff, you know, the stuff. 90-year-old woman gives birth. And yeah, right. So he has a proper understanding of the human realities. Sarah, it's like both of our bodies are incapable of producing children. But God has made this promise that from us, a child will come. So is, um, is this something Abraham really believed or is it just talk? Well, this is why Paul says in Abraham's mind, he believed a couple very important things about God. Number one, that he could, watch this now, bring dead things to life. God can bring necro things to life. See where Paul's leading you? He understood, he understood this. He understood, he understood the human reality. So he's weighing two things, right? It's like there's this impossibility for my wife and I to have kids, but there's also this impossibility that God would, would lie to me. So now it has everything to do with what you believe about God. Well, what does he think? Well, I know that God can bring dead things back to life. A little foreshadowing here. Ah. Seems like Abraham really believed this. Here's how we know. Abraham would have a son. Later, the boy's about 13 years old. God tells him, sacrifice him. This is a gnarly test. Sacrifice him. Now, eventually, God would intervene and spare the boy. But what was going on in Abraham's mind? Now it's really getting rough because the promise has been fulfilled. Isaac is born. And now God says, take his life. Well, how is God gonna give me all of these descendants if Isaac isn't around anymore? I mean, it's like gonna be through him that all this is gonna happen. What do you think was going on? The boy's carrying the wood. Dad, where are we going? Don't worry about it. Um, he's sharpening the knife. <laughs> what was going through Abraham's mind in that moment? Well, the author of Hebrews actually tells you, watch this. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. From which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. In other words, what he's saying is, in Abraham's mind, it was a foregone conclusion. This boy's gonna die. 
but how can God fulfill his promises that through Isaac, I will have descendants, he's dead. You know what? God is capable of bringing dead things to life. God will raise this boy from the dead. It's all a foreshadow of Jesus. It's quite, quite beautiful of his own sacrificial death. And God intervened, provided us an animal sacrifice. But later, God will not intervene in sacrificing his own son. God will actually, see, God always has skin in the game. God actually followed through with the test he put to Abraham. He actually did himself offering up his own son. So all this to say that Abraham's view of God was immense. Do you understand that there were no resurrection stories at this time? <laughs> you know, not like we hear resurrection, no resurrection. Back in Abraham's day, there were no resurrection stories. He dropped everything he had, everything he had on God as the object of his faith and God was more than worthy. It's gonna make all the difference in your life, by the way. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you. It'll affect every aspect of your life. There's a movie called Essential Church. Some of you may have seen it. It's a story about Pastor John MacArthur and what his church went through during the COVID lockdowns, Southern California Church. He opened his church when Governor Newsom said, mm, you need to be closed. So an interesting thing happened. His church was, was fine. Every week it stayed open. And John's position was, look, hey, listen, our community needs us to be open right now. People are hurting in ways that are unseen and unheard. And our way of loving our community and our, and our people, is, we're gonna open our doors. And so they were fined week in and week out. <clears throat> Afterwards, there was a lawsuit. And John was told by his lawyer, you have less than 1% chance of winning this lawsuit. And the reason is simple. The judge assigned to the lawsuit, well, let's just say there is nothing you have in common. You would not agree on one thing. And it's in his hands. And this was an interview that I'm referring to. And the interviewer then asked, what was your emotion? What were you feeling when you heard this? And this 84-year-old pastor gave the greatest answer. He said, I was without emotion. And the interviewer was like, what? Like, I was totally without emotion because I believe in the providence of God. And if God gives us a victory, that's in his hands. That's in his, his hands. If he doesn't, that's in his hands too. And, and the interviewer said, you know, you could have been in prison, put in prison. And, and John said, you know, that too is in God's hands. And I guess I would have known what it would be like to be the Apostle Paul, to have a prison ministry. This guy's 84 years old. Yeah, you know, some people think that it's impossible for people in prison to be reached for the gospel, but nothing is impossible with God. So maybe that would be, that would be God's will. I trust in the providence of, of God, so it's in his hands. Long story short, the judge sided with the church. And they actually won an $800,000 settlement against LA County. Well, (laughs) 
you're going to get us demonetized. Um, <laughs> not that we are, but who cares? He understood the object of his faith. And because he understood the object of his faith, that made all the difference in the outworking of his response to extremely difficult circumstances. So Abraham was weighing these impossibilities and figuring out God can do it. Imagine, imagine (laughs) Imagine being his wife, Abraham's wife. Um, and by, by the way, th- this, is, this is years in the making, the fulfillment of this promise. You know, the promise is made and then all of a sudden, you know, it's like uh, Abraham is 86 and then 87 and then, 88, and then he's like 90. He's like, okay, God, I'm entering into my 90th decade here. And then the guy's like, ooh, trying to blow out 100 birthday candles, you know, uh, no son, but another birthday. And then all of a sudden Sarah's like, I'm pregnant. Imagine being her. Do you know what her response was when God, when she found out that God said, from you, Sarah, you're gonna have a baby? You know what her response was? Yes, she laughed, right? You know the story, she laughed. And then she gets confronted on it. Why are you laughing? As if to say, What's, what, what do you believe about God, Sarah? Why are you laughing? And what does she do? I didn't laugh. No, but you did. <laughs> and so here's how we're, here's how we're gonna play itself out. This is where I think God has a sense of humor. You're gonna call the boy Isaac, which means what? One who laughs. Now, every time you call that boy's name, you're gonna remember that what you think is impossible is, is certainly impo- is possible with God. Hey, laughter, laughter, dinner's ready. <laughs> hey, laughter, pick up your clothes. I remember when I laughed once at what God said. I looked at it from a human perspective and thought impossible. Oh, and, I, and, and it was years in the making. Don't forget that part. I'd love to tell you that the next day, no, the years roll by and then God says, now, now. There is a strengthening of your faith in the waiting, ouch. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now, lest you think this deep faith in God only applies to Abraham, read on, verse 23. But the words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours. That's really cool, man. I love that. It's like all these events that happen, you know why they were why they are recorded, we read in the New Testament. Yeah, it was a blessing to him, but these stories are there for you. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespass and raised for our justification. That's a mic drop. This is such good writing, inspired by the Spirit. This entire chapter, this is a crescendo statement. Using Abraham, he says, it's not just Abraham, just faith for Abraham, it's for you. Because the same God of Abraham is the same God that is for you. And if you share his faith, you're in his family. So how do you perceive the object of your faith? 
a good measure of this or a test might be for you to do this. Consider your list of worries and anxieties. What are you worried about? What are you anxious about? Those things are real and they seem like impossibilities to you. But let me tell you this. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your greatest problem has been solved. So whatever it is that you think you're facing, you say, well, I might take my life. You win. Because your greatest problem has been solved. And that is, your sin has separated you from the God who created you. That's why Jesus came to die on the cross in your place for your sins. So here's the challenge, and we'll speak plainly. I'll use myself as an example. I say I have faith, and then you know what I do? I rely on myself for a lot of things. A lot of things. You know, I'll say, yeah, I have great faith in God, and then I'm quick to be like, how can I figure this out? How can I solve this? And then when I, when I enter myself into that mix, God honors a plan, don't get me wrong, he honors our efforts, but at the end of the day, even those things you must hold very loosely because God will do what he wants to do in his own way, and he will keep every promise. We, living on this side of the cross, there is no excuse. We have all the evidence we need. I'm gonna have you bow your heads and close your eyes. Some of you may be here, and this is stirring something within your heart. Had a gentleman in the first service that came forward and told one of our prayer leaders here in front that essentially he wanted to give his life to Christ. And that is the reason why Jesus came to take all of those impossibilities in your life and make them possible. Not as a result of your own effort, but as a result of what Jesus did on the cross for you. You are facing, every single person in this room, without a doubt, you're facing something that seems overwhelming. I don't know, you don't know exactly the outworking of that, but we know the one who is working in it. And I love Paul's reminder. His story, Abraham's story is there for you. So Father, pray that we would take that story up into our hearts and that we would rest in your providence, just being reminded that you is the object of, your, of our faith. It's the most perfect object, holy, loving, gracious, merciful, sovereign, powerful. And in that we can rest. This is what we want, Lord, for our lives. It is always for our good, but ultimately for your glory. We ask it in the name of the one who makes it all possible. His name is Jesus Christ and God's people said, amen.